G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. Good everyone. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the round 19 review after three eventful days of football with some big ramifications, uh, particularly for the top eight. We've got the Bulldogs back on top of the ladder. We've got Richmond in deep doo-doo. We have Essendon out of the final eight, replaced by GWS, who were in there a few weeks ago, slipped out, and now are back again. So a very changeable top eight environment. Four weeks to go after this one, but uh, some big movers and shakers this week. We will bring you a comprehensive rundown of all nine games. This podcast, as always, proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punting advantage this footy season. As I say, a very good evening to my co-host, Mark Fine. What'd you make of it all, Finey? Wow, what a inter- what an interesting round of football it was. I mean, who wants that final spot in the eighth is question number one. Number two, for the first time in a decade, and I know others have been bullish about them in various guises, but I'm a believer. I think Geelong can do it. They would have absolutely loved not only the four points, but sounding the death knell for their nemesis in finals and their primed Jeremy Cameron should be back for the finals. And I think they look very ominous, very ominous indeed. Yeah, absolutely. Moved up to second spot with that win. Uh, Melbourne now officially down to third. I'll tell you what else looks ominous, Finey ominous in terms of serving the best fast food in the universe, and that is a certain burger establishment in the province of Albert Park. Could you fill in our audience on what I'm talking about? Well, ominous to their opposition, to other burger vendors, not only at Albert Park, as you say, worldwide, universe-wide, it's ominous when you've got to come up against Andrew's Hamburgers, 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. There's a hamburger that has... The opposition shaking in their boots or, I guess, quivering in their grill or at their grill because you can't beat experience and you can't beat quality. That's what I love about an Andrew's hamburgers. The bite is, I tell you what, and I mean this, I'm bloody hungry and I could murder an Andrew's hamburger right now. There are times there's no substitute. And as much as I love doing this podcast, I wish I was taking that first joyous bite into an Andrews burger. 144 Bridport Street, Albert Park. Tonight, it's hard to do the ad because I wish I was eating one. I really do. Well, I wish I was leaning back in a beautifully upholstered and refurbished property renovated by our favourite developers and builders in the Southern Hemisphere, Finey. I wish you were as well. If you were 
currently luxuriating in a West Point property build. Nick Spark tells his eye for detail is undiminished. I tell you what, I might just make myself a bit of a, a pest when COVID was over and I'd be enjoying all of those mod cons. Still, wherever you are is always entertaining to me, but it just would be a bit nicer if it was in a West Point property house, Rowan. Well, it is quite possible I'm planning to build a padded cell in uh, whatever property Nick Spartels and the boys cook up for me when I have a bit more money under my belt. I'll tell you what else I'd be luxuriating in, and that is the comfort of knowing that the statistics I was reading about, not just football, but any sport, were the most comprehensive and accurate known to mankind. And they, of course, would be the stats provided by Stats Insider, the best sports data analysts in the business. They cover more than 15 sports across the globe. They sample every event more than 10,000 times to bring you the best range of possible and probable outcomes. You can't go wrong with Stats Insider and also carrying some of the best independent sports journalism you will ever clap your eyes on. So check them out, statsinsider.com.au. Everything free to use. Give them a follow on Twitter as well while you're at it, at Stats Insider. All right, they're the preliminaries out of the way. We've got nine games to get through. A lot of important things going on in the world of AFL football. Let's talk about what happened and why. On Footyology, wrap around. Round 19 kicked off Friday evening at Marvel Stadium with Port Adelaide taking on Collingwood. Port Adelaide, of course, the nominal home team playing interstate, but it didn't really matter because there was no crowd there anyway. And the upshot of this, a pretty comfortable 28-point win to the power. The final scores, 14-13, 97 Port Adelaide, defeating Collingwood, 10-9-69. The goal kickers for the power, four to Dixon, three to Marshall, two to Laddams, singles to Woodcock, Eamon, Houston and Wines. And Rosie for the Pies, three to Mychek, two to Henry, Singles to Dugowie, Elliott, Bianco, Cameron and Cox. Well, a bit of a nothing game, this, to be honest. Uh, the power always looked to be in control. The Pies had their moments, probably got a little bit of joy for their kids. But uh, in the end, Port preserving their top four spot. I guess, finally, the question here is how convincing was Port Adelaide in doing that? Look, they weren't convincing, Roe. I guess the question is, and once Pendlebury came off injured, and we now know with a serious injury, a uh, broken leg, uh, at the end of the first quarter, the game was never really going to be a serious contest. Port Adelaide had the bigger bodies. Uh, so many kids playing for Collingwood. I mean, they've had kids this year adding Ginnivan and Towhill to the mix. Very inexperienced, I guess. The interesting thing out of the game is the change in structure to the Port Adelaide forward line. They went very tall. It was successful. Maybe this is a nod to the fact that they're not expecting, say, Robbie Gray back to have an impact in the immediate future and maybe even for the finals. So what we thought was going to be their strength in small and mid-sized forwards might be changing this late in the season. 
Well, the other dimension to that too is who's still out of that side. I mean, I think we both agree. They they look a little bit pedestrian at the moment compared to the sort of footy we saw them play last year. Now, getting that wonderful young trio of Dersma, Butters and Rosie back helps. I just wonder if they also need the addition of one, at least probably two of the trio of Gray, Fantasia and Motlop. I'm a little bit worried about their lack of a, a terrier type in that forward 50 and that tall structure. And you're talking there about, uh, well, Dixon, Laddams, Georgiades, Marshall. Is that going to be able to be used against all potential finals opponents? I've got my doubts. It's funny, you know, when you say Gray, Motlop and Fantasia, you really imagine them all playing in the same position and they're not dissimilar. Football. Look, they are, they're not the same footballer, but they do fill similar roles. When it works, it looks great because we've seen before, we saw Richmond in their first premiership season of the current run do it with really a forward line, no Tom Lynch, of course, then. That was considered too small by normal standards. So when it works, it's great. But to be honest, we haven't really seen it click regularly. That Richmond team was finely honed come the finals. I think to put those three into the side really needs a lot more of a run-up than they're going to get. And quite honestly, I think they've missed the boat this year, one way or the other. A quick word on the pies. Uh, we mentioned a few of their young kids. Bianco, I've liked the look off, particularly over the back half of the season. Josh Dacos, of course, not playing at the moment, but he's certainly one to keep your eye on. They're going to be getting Nick Dacos aboard. Uh, they had... I think it was seven players in that team with less than 10 games experience. And I think they've fielded more debutants this season than any other side. So it's certainly not for want of trying to inject a bit of freshness into that lineup. I look at the way they play their footy though, Finey, and I, I still think it's not particularly inspiring. They're still a bit laborious with their ball movement. You know, the penny will drop and they'll get a nice little wriggle on. They were pretty good in the third quarter on Friday night. You know, five goals, uh, Port kicked five as well in the same quarter. But uh, the way they play football, Collingwood needs a bit of an overhaul, I think. And you do look at uh, who's the man to take that forward. I'm pretty sure we can probably conclude at this stage it's not going to be Robert Harvey. Yeah, I think that's fair. a fair assessment. It never was going to be Robert Harvey, part of the old regime. And there hasn't been a noticeable change in game style. It's an interesting philosophical question, isn't it? We know that, say, when Brendan Bolton came to Carlton and he first sort of instilled a defensive attitude rather than attacking one, whereas when John Worsfold took over at Essendon, it was seemingly more attack at all cost. I reckon that Collingwood have to really release the shackles and I'm not talking about this year, we're really looking at youngsters for the rest of the year, but they have to create a game style that is attractive, not only to their fans, but to the players that brings out the best in these young footballers. Because with so many young footballers, surely you want them playing their, their to their best ability, which means to free them up, to let them run, to let them kick, to let them play football rather than chip it around. 
Yeah, well, interesting questions for both teams. Um, what's on the agenda for them both next week? Well, we stress here that round 20 uh, is still a lot to play out there in terms of who's even playing who. We are hearing that uh, Collingwood's clash, which is scheduled against West Coast in Melbourne at this stage at the MCG, will probably be one of those uh, which goes ahead as planned. Port Adelaide is scheduled to be playing GWS uh, whereabouts. Well, you can be pretty confident it won't be in Sydney where it was supposed to be. So I guess Marvel Stadium, which is uh, becoming a bit of a de facto home for some of those interstate sides. All right, that was Friday evening. We had five games, back to five games on the Saturday crowded schedule. Let's talk about them. First game on Saturday afternoon was at Marvel Stadium. It was Carlton taking on North Melbourne. Uh, the Roos been playing some pretty decent footy of late. The Blues uh, played their best footy of this season over the last month. Could they maintain those very, very slim finals chances? Well, the answer pretty emphatically in the finish was no, because this was a really disappointing performance by the Blues. Alternately, really encouraging stuff from the Roos who now have four wins or four and a half wins for the season. The final score, North Melbourne 18-8, 116, defeating the Blues 11-11-77. The goal kickers, well, one man stood supreme, Nick Larky, a real standout performance from him, the best of his career. Seven goals he ended up with. Four goals to Taron Thomas, similarly inspiring for the Roos. Three to Stevenson, two to Anderson, singles to Goldstein and Zerha. For the Blues, well, it was tough for them up forward without Harry Mackay. Cripps ended up with three, one on the siren. Two to Kennedy, two to Nunes, singles to Owies, Martin, Curnow and Fisher. Well, finally, we know Carlton's got their review going on. Uh, this sort of stinker couldn't have come at a worse time for David Teague. And uh, he basically conceded after this game, it was their worst performance of the season. How do you see it? Well, in equal parts, terrible by Carlton. Let's focus on North Melbourne, though. Look, I agree with David Teague. We can get on to that after we talk about how enjoyable it was to watch North Melbourne enjoy their football and play so well, topping the 100-point mark, kicking goals through a spearhead that looked every bit like the future of the club that he is supposed to be. And he was impressive. Taron Thomas has been great in the latter half of this season. No surprise that their form has spiked with his improvement because every time he touches it, something seems to happen. They were good off the back line. Artu Bosovenlugi, or Venlugi, how would you pronounce it? How do we pronounce it? I think it's Lugi. Whatever it is, at least I'm having a go at it. Now, I've got to say, I'm a bit disappointed that for the almost entirety of the game, Eddie Maguire only referred to him as Atu. Um, I think that's fairly disrespectful. I know I have a crack at Eddie, and I reckon his commentary has been fantastic since he's come back, actually. But you don't call a player by his first name. You make the effort to know his surname. And there's a bit of cultural cringe with that. I just wanted to mention it. Anyhow, back to the game. And look, North were great. Simpkin did a wonderful job on Walsh. 
as expected, even though uh, uh, even though the efforts by Carlton's younger players weren't terrible. Um, they're just not quite up to it. The likes of Cottrell and Williamson, I guess they're sort of exposed at the bottom end of their list a little bit. And boy, did they miss Harry Mackay as a spearhead. Silvani tried hard, I thought, as a hit-up forward. I'll tell you what didn't work. Cripps as a hit-up forward. I know he kicked three goals, but as was pointed out, he didn't really work hard as he hit up forward and they looked more dangerous when Wietering went there in the last quarter. But he went there in the last quarter and how poor did the back line look, Rowan? So there were holes everywhere. But focusing on North, you know, and it wasn't... I know Cunnington plays an important role in that team, but gee, it was good to see Jed Anderson back as well. I thought he played a great game. Yeah, look, I mean, you're, you're right about North, the... The rebuild is really starting to take effect. I mean, Larky, seven goals. Thomas, terrific. Simkin on Walsh. I mean, Simkin's ended up with 31 disposals for the game. And uh, we're not even talking here about Luke Davies, Uniac, who ended up with 28 disposals. Now, he's becoming a really consistent performer for them. So, Rowan, just on LDU, I think he's turning into a fantastic footballer. Whenever he gets the ball, there's no panic. He uses that body strength that he's developed. And how many times were North, as as good as they were, maybe sort of um, a little bit excitable and running a little bit hot, that he just settled it down with a, with a really wise disposal. And I just think of one in the centre where they were rapid-fire handballing and a player called for it, LD Davis Uniaki, I'll call him by his correct name, um, resisted the first handball and just held the ball and calmed things down with a, a much more sage disposal, a, a handball back into space, giving his teammates some time. I really think he's developed wonderfully this year. Yeah, he has. And they were able to pick their way through Carlton's defence too, which was shown uh, several times throughout this game to be really lacking. I mean, there was a real lack of willingness to run defensively by too many Carlton players, I thought. And, I mean, this is just symptomatic of sort of where they've been. They get a, a, a string of reasonable performances and then they let themselves down with an absolute shocker. And, look, ultimately, I think you said it, their depth isn't there. They don't have that quality at the bottom end of that list with any sort of injury toll at all. Uh, I, you know, I've been a defender of David Teague and, again... I'm not sure this has that much to do with him, but I'm more and more confident he's probably going to end up paying the price for it, aren't you? I feel he, he will. That seems to be the sort of reflex action at Carlton over my following of football over decades that they look for a simple solution where the problem is deep-seated. And I tell you what, how disappointing is Zach Williams? Now, I feel there's something wrong with Saad. I think Adam Saad is hampered. He loves running with the ball and bouncing, but he's not doing it. Zach Williams just doesn't like working hard. No, well, he got injured too, of course, uh, subbed out of this game yeah, with a yeah. hamstring injury. Uh, so, yeah, look, tough times for the Blues. Uh, they're supposed to be playing the Saints next week at Marvel Stadium on Saturday I uh, think that one goes as scheduled. As to North Melbourne, well, great test of their improvement. Uh, probably not a lot better test, actually, at, at the moment 
at this stage of the season. They are up against Geelong. That game is scheduled for Blundstone Arena in Hobart. The AFL feverishly working to try to free up, what do they call it, a sterile corridor. So that game can continue to be played where it is supposed to be. Time will tell on that one. All right, that was the first game Saturday afternoon. There was another one up in Queensland. Saturday afternoon at the Gabba saw a Q clash between Brisbane and Gold Coast. And this one, quite remarkable for the extent of the, uh, what would you say, swings and roundabouts. Because the first half, all the Suns, they continued their impressive recent form. And they were so impressive, in fact, that they had a 27-point lead at the halftime break. And the final scores, well, uh, a very comfortable 49-point win to Brisbane. That's right, a 76-point turnaround. Brisbane kicking 13 goals to just one in the second half. So uh, it's a couple of steps forward and at least one back for the Suns. Brisbane managing to find a bit of that lost confidence in the second half. The final scores... Brisbane 17, 18, 120, defeating Gold Coast 10, 11, 71. The goal kickers, four to McCarthy, three to Cameron, three to Danaher, two to Archie, two to Robinson, singles to McStay, Neal and Zorko. For the Suns, three to King, three to Corbett, singles to Ainsworth, Rowell, Sexton, and sharp. Well, finally, halftime, Chris Fagan would have been pretty dirty. Stuart Dew, elated, I would have thought, with how things were. And you could just swap those countenances over completely at the end of the game. This is as remarkable a change in fortunes as I've seen in a game this season. And uh, by the end of it, Brisbane seemed to have restored a lot of that uh, or vim and vigour that's been missing over the last couple of weeks. Mojo, wasn't it? It would have been almost flabbergasting, except that I've seen this game before. Few people have. But in a pre-season game, not this year, but last year, Brisbane played Gold Coast. And Gold Coast was similarly up. And in the third quarter, Brisbane just said, you know what, we're the masters, they're the servants, and we're not going to put up with it anymore. And just slammed on in the rain, by the way, this on this occasion. Um something like seven or eight goals in half a quarter and absolutely put them to the sword. And at the moment, it seems as though that mentality pervades the game because as brilliant as the Gold Coast were in the first half, and they were great, don't get me wrong, you felt that they were... Look, there was an expression once, St Kilda led Hawthorne when Tony Jewell was coach. And he said something ridiculous at halftime. He said, you've got the tiger by the tail. Do not let it go. And I think I put the fear of God into every St Kilda player. And they ended up losing by about 12 goals. And I've got a feeling that Gold Coast had that sense against Brisbane as well. That they, they were in front, but they just couldn't let Brisbane breathe. And as soon as Brisbane breathed, you felt the Gold Coast fell back into a pattern against them to be second to the ball, second best. In that first half, they had the answers. Corbett was fantastic, I thought, as a target. Ben King mobile, he got to show the goose to get going, but then looked good. And 
Raul, even though he hasn't got a heap of the balls, imposed himself and he looked good in the game. In fact, only Mitch Robinson in that first quarter and a half, say, showed much for Brisbane at all. And then they all came to the party, didn't they? And that forward line that was being well held got loose and boy, oh boy, is Lincoln McCarthy in good form. Yeah, he played a terrific game. I'll tell you again, though, not for the first time, uh, one man who had a point to prove, and boy, did he prove it, Jared Lyons uh, winning the medal for best on ground in this game, not for the first time, and not for the first time embarrassing the club that for some God-known reason allowed him to leave. Uh, I was looking at Gold Coast midfield, and look, They've had a fantastic season from Took Miller and he tried pretty hard again. Missed an absolute sitter of a goal. Did he what in that second quarter? Uh, Braden Fiorini, really impressive. 41 disposals he ended up with. But you looked at Lyons and what he was doing and thought, well, you know, he should be part of that Gold Coast midfield and he should be making them a significantly better side. I think that uh, recruiting gambit or uh, trade or list uh, Gambit is going to prove one of the most spectacularly awful list decisions made in the modern era because he continues to be a great player for Brisbane and continues to embarrass the side that let him go. Joe Danaher, interesting game from him, kicked a, an amazing goal. goal. Yeah, It uh, sort of cannoned off his arm and then onto his shin and his boot. Uh, nothing is sort of uh, straightforward. Uh, he doesn't kick too many... Jason Dunstall type goals. Uh, <laughs> You're right, Joe Denner. Uh, it's all got a, it's all duck or no dinner or whatever that expression is. Correct. Correct. Uh, final quick answer from you. Do we think Brisbane's back in the Premiership ball game? I just fear for them without without those structurally important players in Hipwood and Adams against the Gold Coast for a half. They looked all at sea, and believe me, they can't be all at sea if you want to bring a premiership, come down to Melbourne and take on teams away from the Gabba. So I don't think that answered too many questions, Rowan. No, I tend to agree. Uh, I think having seen Melbourne and the Bulldogs, and we'll get to that game shortly, the way they played in their clash, uh, I think the Lions are going to have to be a fair bit better still than even what they were in the second half next week for both these teams. Well, Brisbane's scheduled to play Hawthorne. Uh, <laughs> the fixture I'm looking at has that one scheduled for Adelaide Oval. Uh, can't see that at this stage either. So who knows where, who knows if that game happens and the Suns scheduled to play Melbourne at the Gabba. I guess that could go ahead if they do the old sterile corridor business. But your guess as good as ours at this stage. All right. So they were the two afternoon games dispatched with. We had a twilight game in Perth. Optus Stadium Perth was the venue for this clash between West Coast, who, let's be honest, have been really struggling of late, up against St Kilda who had revived their season fortunes until an untimely stumble late against Port Adelaide last week. This was going to be probably a tougher ask given the venue. Could they 
resurrect those finals hopes. Well, like gave it a really decent crack. In fact, this was a really entertaining game of football and uh, the Saints gave absolutely everything. In the end, coming up short by eight points, West Coast, the victors, 14-10, 94, defeating the Saints, 13-8-86. The goal kickers, Kennedy, three for the Eagles, back in that lineup and making a big difference. Three to Darling, two to Sheed, singles to Ryan, Cripps, Kelly, Natanui, Waterman and Langdon for the Saints. What an outstanding game this man played. Max King, he was absolutely terrific for the Saints. In fact, I made a note of his of his uh, statistical tally. Nine marks, eight of them contested, 13 disposals, six goals, one. So he even had his kicking boots on. That was a very, very ominous display from him. Two to Butler, singles to Sinclair, Billings, Ryder, Hunter, Membry. Well, Finey, they didn't uh, take the points, but you would have had to have been pretty happy with how your side took it up to the Eagles. Yeah, I thought they were fantastic. They, I've, I'll tell you something that's become absolutely clear is their form, apart from Marvel Stadium, has been okay this year. Given the player availability, they just cannot play at their home ground. They they are hopeless there, but they seem to enjoy playing outdoors on on bigger traditional football grounds because they they have a crack. It was a really interesting game. Seesawing early and unsurprisingly, West Coast took the ascendancy through Nick Natanui. He started to dominate in the ruck. Tim Kelly got silver service and Josh Kennedy and Darling were thrust into the game. Thankfully for St Kilda, they had King at the other end just pulling down big mark after big mark and causing no end of headaches to Edwards, his opponent, then McGovern, his opponent. In fact, whoever his opponent was, they just sometimes were at sixes and sevens knowing who to play on him. The brilliance of Tim Kelly bust the game open in that second quarter. And they needed him because Liam Ryan, who kicked a goal early in the game, injured his hamstring in doing so. So they just needed that sort of electric touch to service those big forwards and boy, they're beautiful kicks. One thing about Darling and Kennedy is in the modern game, we lament good goal kicking. Well, Darling is a beautiful kicker goal as a rule and Kennedy can kick them from just about anywhere and did so. They hit the post a couple of times and uh, the offender was Waterman, who was pretty lively as well. And if he had his kicking boots on, I think he kicked one, three, maybe in the finish or one, two. It might have been beyond St Kilda, but St Kilda mounted a really lively comeback in that last quarter. A lot of it based on the run and dare of Brad Hill and Zach Jones. Hill has his detractors, but he was great in taking the game on, kicking it through the corridor. Ryan Burns, the youngster, also took the game on. Look, I think they'd be pleased with the sort of fill-in defenders they had in Claverino. Certainly not a first pick, but he tried his guts out. In the end, West Coast played much better football than they have in recent weeks because they weren't sitting on the ball. They were moving it with some alacrity, and that's what won them the game, Rowan. Yeah, no, good observations. Uh, fantastic second quarter from Kelly. He, you know, If you could do that for them on a four-quarter basis, that'd be a much better side. couple of observations on individuals. I reckon Zach Jones... 
has been very solid for the Saints. Thought he was terrific for them. He ended up with 32 disposals. And uh, Jack Sinclair, I know Saints fans have thought this for a while, but boy, hasn't he really found a home at half-back and, and yeah. just become a 200% better player than he was when used as a small forward or you know one of those sort of nondescript jacks who was uh, bobbing around in that team. He has really found a, a home and been a wonderful pickup and uh, re-signed for them the other day, I see. So that's encouraging for them. The other guy I wanted to mention quickly is Dom Sheed. He's been a really good player for a fair while now, but I reckon probably unfairly, uh, for a lot of people over East, it was when he kicked that winning goal in the 2018 grand final, but they really suddenly went, boy, you know, this guy's got ice through his veins. Well, post that, I think they've also had to notice just what a really good footballer he is and some real coolness on his part to kick the, well, I guess the two most critical goals of the game. Um, immediate answers from the Eagles after the Saints really threatened and got within a kick and a half late in the piece. So he has been a terrific player for the Eagles and a seriously good uh, midfielder in the ranks of AFL midfielders. Uh, the Eagles, well... Now, just, just, uh, just one more player. I thought Cripps, you know, that he's obviously a player that can play brilliantly. He was great last week in that win over Adelaide but he played a complete game. He kicked a beautiful goal. His passing in the forward line was precise. His pressure, that's exactly what they want from him. Many strings to his bow. And, you know, he did start at St Kilda, but was never happy there. was always heading back west. And he's a very, very good high half forward. Uh, many strings to his bow, including the adult film Tom, industry. Yeah, whatever his name is. Tom Byron. Sorry, yeah. I have to do that every week if you haven't heard this before. Uh, quick answer from you. Uh, the Eagles, they're going to have to do it the hard way. It looks like they're going to stay in the eight pretty comfortably. Are they any chance at all of winning a flag? A small chance, a tiny chance, only because Nat Nui is a unique footballer. They've got some unique footballers there, don't they? But the inability to get Shuey on the pitch has really cost them. They need all men playing in their best 22. They are a small chance. Well, I'll tell you why they're a bigger chance because we might end up with the bulk of the final series played on their home ground. That well, would make, that'll help them. Well, that would make a considerable difference. All right, what happens next week for these two teams? Well, for the Saints, they are scheduled to meet Carlton Marvel Stadium on Saturday afternoon. The Eagles, uh, we know this is one of the few certainties about round 20. They will be coming to Melbourne and will be playing Collingwood. Uh, almost certainly that game at the MCG. All right, that was the Twilight game. We had two Saturday night games, one of them a major bill, the other one eh, not so much. It was number one versus number two on the ladder. Unfortunately, for a second time this season, a blockbuster clash played before a crowd of zero uh, tell you what, Melbourne Bulldogs will be itching to actually play in front of some fans at some stage in 2021. Uh, the first meeting back at Marvel Stadium was a very business-like sort of win to the Demons. I thought this game uh, was probably played at a, a slightly higher level, funnily enough, given that early on it was played in driving rain, which did clear, fortunately. But a really entertaining game. 
and neck and neck for much of it. Uh, the Demons coming at the Bulldogs, but the Bulldogs holding sway in the end by 20 points. The final scores, Western Bulldogs 13-7, 85, defeating Melbourne 9-11, 65. The goal kickers, two to Bontempelli, including a crucial goal in the last quarter. Two to Bruce, two to Mitch Hannon playing against his old side and didn't his old teammates love it when he kicked that first goal. Two to Norton, singles to Daniel English, Smith, Eugle Hagen and Waitman, who also managed to take one of the marks of the year, a spectacular climb over Max Gorn of all people, all 208 centimetres of him. That was incredible stuff. For the Demons, two goals to Brown, two to Fritch, two to Pickett, singles to McDonald, Petrarca, Viney. Well, the Demons' downturn continues, Viney, but I don't reckon they walk away from this one. Uh, well, oddly enough, they probably walk away in terms of how they played their footy, probably happier with how they played in this one than when they escaped with two points in the draw against Hawthorne last week because they gave it a crack. But this was a really impressive win by the Bulldogs, I thought, uh, particularly when they were challenged in that last quarter. They really found something. Marcus Bontempelli, what a player he is, kicked a goal, which uh, restored their goal and a half advantage and then promptly got the next centre bounce clearance and delivered on his wrong foot to Eugle Hagen on his chest, who made the game safe. Uh, he is just a marvellous footballer, Marcus Bontempelli. Uh, two sides very worthy of sitting at the top of the ladder, I think. And I really hope they do get to clash in this final series, finally, because I think it'll be a bit of a corker. Does Luke Beveridge have a crystal ball? Has he done a deal with the devil? What's going on, Rowan? Does he know the future before it happens? Can we bring him up for Tats Lotto numbers during the week and become millionaires on the weekend? Because when you've got a forward line of Eugel Hagen, Norton and Bruce, and the forecast is for rain all weekend, and you pick, pick Josh Shackey, you raise a lot of eyebrows. But when Keith does his hamstring, it all makes a heck of a lot of sense. And Shackey went back of centre and he contributed. It would have been more difficult without him there. It would have been a hard win to get. That was... Prophetic, wasn't it? I mean, boy, oh boy, was that an inspired selection. I know that they were concerned about possibly Melbourne's hype going forward, but it played out exactly, well, not exactly as they wanted. They didn't want Keith to get injured, but the extra man turned out to be very, very advantageous. Yeah, it was a, it was a good call. And uh, according to Marcus Bontempelli, only a, a very recent development with Shaki at VFL level as well so uh yeah inspired stuff and wouldn't be the first i guess failed forward to transition into an effective backman we saw it with uh, liam jones a few years ago with remarkable effects so uh let's hope he can find a permanent home down there i'll tell you one thing which really struck me about this game if your take on the importance of ruckman is that the hitouts don't often mean a lot. This is a game you're going to be quoting in your argument. Even at half time, Melbourne led the hit out count 40 to 8. The clearance count at the same time was 27 to the Bulldogs, 21 to the Demons. So either the Bulldogs are incredibly good at sharking 
uh, opposition hitouts. Melbourne isn't organised enough around Max Gorn's work. Or hitouts are a completely meaningless stat which have no impact on a game whatsoever. I still can't quite make up my mind. But uh, you'd think Melbourne would like to get more out of Max Gorn's dominance if hitouts do mean anything for him. Yeah, the, I know what I know. One thing that's important at a stoppage, somebody needs to stand near Bont and Pelly because both his goals at the start and the end of the game were way, way too easy. And, and how he got that space in the dying minutes of the game to basically put a seal on it, Melbourne will be looking at that in the review. I guarantee you. Bailey Smith was great again. Melbourne, on the other hand. I think, have an answer to a conundrum. And they've got to stick with Ben Brown. He provided a good target. He could have kicked more goals. Interesting, his last two shots. You know, when he gets on that runway, it's very different to other players. Everybody's curling it around the corner with a fair bit of success. And that second last shot of goal was a disaster. From the same angle, but the opposite side of the ground, as he came in on the runway again, I thought, boy, oh boy, you've got faith in the system, mate. And he kicked it right over the umpire's hat. If the goal umpires wore hats, I think they'd wear caps, if anything. So, yeah, I think we go with Ben Brown for the rest of the year and Melbourne would be well served. Yeah, I, I agree. I was thinking that the last couple of weeks anyway, I think he's he's finally sort of settled down a bit into that lineup and can uh, can play some pretty important football for them. Uh, do you think Melbourne can win the flag still? Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm wavering. I'm wavering a bit. There's there's something missing. I can't quite work out what it is, but I, I feel like they've... Uh, early on in the season, you know, when they had that undefeated streak, they really did match that sort of inside grunt work and their, their pretty consistent performance winning contested footy with some great outside stuff as well. Uh, not so much the case at the moment. It was the Bulldogs that won the uncontested possession count, even though the Demons won the contested ball count pretty handsomely, and uh, the Bulldogs winning the clearance count by eight. So uh, there's something amiss on the outside for the Demons. I think they have to get that right, and uh, that would require probably better performances from the likes of Langdon, Hunt, uh, Salem, etc. Still got Sa- time. Salem's dropped. Salem's. That's a good point. I think. I think they've had a bit of a drop off in Jordan, Rivers, and Salem. Yeah, Hunt's yeah. picked up. I, I'm, I reckon he's going well. And Langdon sets a high standard, but he runs and runs. And Viney's been good since he's come back. But I'm looking at Salem, River, Rivers, and Jordan as players that need to pick up a bit. Yeah, well, still a time to uh, turn it around before we head into the finals campaign. Melbourne, as we said earlier, scheduled initially in this round, uh, round 20, sorry, coming up to play Gold Coast up in Queensland and the Bulldogs scheduled to be playing Adelaide at the MCG, that one too. So they get a good sighter for that game with what happened on Saturday night. So one all the two clashes of the top two teams on the ladder. Uh, will the finals play the tiebreaker? Let's wait and see. One more game played on Saturday evening. It was down the road from the G at Marvel Stadium. Well, let's be honest, not a lot expected of this game between Adelaide and Hawthorne. 
initially scheduled for Adelaide Oval, transferred to Marvel Stadium. Don't think that would have pleased the Crows too much. Their last visit to this ground saw them record their lowest ever score that miserable night against Essendon when they kicked two goals, nine. Bit of a difference this time, though, because the Crows not only had a good win, but they kicked a very healthy score. In fact, this was a really high-scoring, entertaining, free-flowing game of footy. Won by the Crows by 19 points in the finish. 16 goals, 6, 102, defeating Hawthorne, 13-5, 83. The goal kickers, 4 to Tex Walker, 2 to Fogarty, 2 to Murphy, 2 to Laird, 2 to Himmelberg, including a couple of critical late ones. Singles to Lynch, Smith and Keyes and McHenry. For the Hawks, three to Lewis, two to Phillips. The rest all singles. Warpool, Kaczynski, Moore, O'Brien, Bruce, McAvoy, Mitchell and Brockman. Well, the Crows sort of held Hawthorne at bay for most of this. Six goals to four in the opening term. Nine to six at half time. The Hawks within... Pinching distance, couple of goals of difference at three-quarter time. Four goals to three in the final term saw Adelaide take the points. Just their third win, I think, in the last 14 games. So, timely one for them. Hawthorne, yeah, some flashes there, some encouragement for a few of the younger players, but ultimately not a victory. How did you see this one? Somewhere between a practice match and a senior game of AFL football. I think the accuracy almost tells that tale. There were quite a few coast-to-coast adventures by both teams and turnovers meant that there were some easy running goals. Made it a little bit easy for Walker, one-on-one with undersized opponents. But for the best part of the game, it was the likes of Rory Laird who really told the tale and was the difference between the two teams. He's having a great season being moved up on ball. I think we need to comment on his career, mainly as a halfback flanker, transforming into something much more as an on-baller and more power to him. So impressed by his efforts from Hawthorne's perspective. You know, they big rap for this youngster. I mean, I think he was pick six overall, um, Granger Barras. Is that correct? Yeah. Boy, oh boy, did he show exactly why they've invested a great deal of hope in these young defenders for the future. Himself, will they, we know he's injured, but they will make, and I think form, a a great rebounding half-back line with Jath as well. The future is very bright back of ball for Hawthorne when they've got that full team there. Scrimshaw, another good defender. I, I really think that that's where the development will come and come at, come in a rush. I think they've got some real talent back of centre. Yes, right. One thing which interests me about the Hawks is, you don't say this often of Alistair Clarkson teams, but there's something disjointed about the way they play. I reckon the stats from this game sort of back it up. So Hawthorne had 11 more inside 50s. It was 59 to 48 inside 50 count. They won the clearance count by 10. They won contested ball. They won on the outside, more uncontested possessions, and they had 17 more tackles. I don't reckon you win all of those uh, areas too often and lose the game. 
So I'm not sure what it is. I'm not sure if it's about connection or skill level or just young guys that still aren't completely au fait with the sort of uh, style Clarkson wants them to be pursuing. But they're not quite clicking as a unit, the Hawks. I guess that's to be expected of sides with their share of younger players. But it's just, you, you don't often see it with an Alistair Clarkson coach team. For Adelaide, well, Tex Walker, you know, back to his goal-kicking best he, he was showing early in the season. That's sort of more of the football they were playing early in the season. I guess maybe the lesson there is early, late in the season, it's that sort of grinding period through the middle uh, when things are a bit tougher and bodies go on the line a bit more that they probably need to address. Oh, yeah, and quality of opposition. As I said, this game was not played at full AFL intensity. And for a, a team that has saddled up, a lot of these youngsters saddled up week in, week out, the physical hardship of playing against the bigger bodies and more mature footballers has told on Adelaide. So they were well matched against Hawthorne, similarly with a lot of young players in the team. You know, I was critical of Darcy Fogarty in recent weeks not touching the ball. The game was up for grabs in that last quarter. He did a couple of desperation acts that were just outstanding going with the flight of the ball in the last quarter. One was a, a great knock, knock on that resulted in the ball ending up in the hands of Walker and sealing the game, going with the flight of the ball and couldn't question his courage. Maybe it was put to him during the week that he needs to stand for something because he certainly stood for something when it mattered in this game. Well, turn around welcome for the Crows. Uh, next week, they are scheduled to play the Western Bulldogs. So bit of a difference in the quality of the opponent, you'd think there. As for the Hawks, they are scheduled to play Brisbane. But uh, those two games, uh, well, who knows where, who knows if, again, uh, these are uncharted territories. And we may not know how this round 20 plays out until well into the week. All right, that was the five games on the Saturday menu. Let's talk about the three on Sunday. The first game on Sunday at the pretty early time of 12.30 was at Metricon Stadium. Uh, Not a local team playing, but one from New South Wales and one from Western Australia. It was Sydney taking on Fremantle Frio, still with uh, flickering finals hopes. Sydney, of course, hoping to have a decent old crack at a top four berth and uh, struggle early for the Swans as a resolute Fremantle. Played some pretty decent football early, but boy, did that turn around after half time. Of course, a couple of serious injuries for Fremantle, losing, well, their best two players. Let's make no bones about it. Nat Fife and Michael Walters, uh, really tough break for them. But they did pretty much come apart in the second half when the Swans slammed on eight goals to just two to end up with a convincing 40-point win. The final score, Sydney 14-14, 98. Defeating Fremantle, 8-10-58. The goal kickers, Heaney, five, and also yet another candidate for Mark of the Year. What a fantastic grab that was over Frio's Luke Ryan. Two goals to Parker, two to Buddy Franklin, who may have a bit of uh, bother with the match review officer. Singles to Golden, Rowbottom, Papley, and Hickey. For the Dockers, two to Tabana, two to Chera. Singles to Darcy, 
Mundy, Schultz, and Croden, who was a late inclusion uh, bit of illness hitting the Frio camp, and he was a late inclusion into that side. Good early, the Dockers, but uh, they fell away pretty badly, Finey, but credit where it's due. The Swans really picked up their game after half time. It'd be unfair on the Swans to lay all of the responsibility for the or the reasoning for Fremantle's second half fade out on the fact that Fife didn't come out after half time and Walters did his hamstring very early in the second half. Because of course last week Sydney steamrolled over the top of GWS. So who's to say they weren't going to do it regardless? That being said, Fremantle were pretty game in the first half and it was a good competitive contest, don't get me wrong. Sean Darcy was taking it up to one of the best ruckmen, form ruckmen in the competition. In fact, those two arguably are the two best ruckmen this season in the competition. I wonder whether the All-Australian selectors will view it likewise. Hickey and Darcy have been fantastic. Heaney sort of commented in recent weeks that his brilliance sometimes masks his spasmodic output. Not this week. He was fantastic. And as you say, another contender for Mark of the Year. Actually, earlier on in this program, should have mentioned a contender for Mark of the Year that was a contender for Mark of the Year going up, but not coming down. That was DeConning of Carlton, who I thought had scaled the heights, but by the time he landed, it looked like he hadn't jumped at all. Maybe there's a hill I don't know about at Marvel. But back to this game and... You've got to admire. How about Tom Papley, by the way? Look, it's only what did he end up with? One five and a couple of sprayed shots at that. That's as lively as he's been in recent weeks. And the timing is ominous for opposition teams. I'm I'm not sure about Sam Reid. There were some concerns about his hamstring. He's that I know the coach loves him, and they'd love to have him there during the finals. But maybe that's a wish rather than a serious option for the Swans. What do you reckon, mate? Well, he wasn't on the official injury list, so might have got out of that okay. And I thought he might have added a bit to the mix as well. By the way, I did mention Croden, a late inclusion. That was for Tracy, who was ill. We don't know exactly what the illness was, but that's what the official explanation says. For me, Finey, this was all about the Swans ramping up the pressure and forcing the Dockers into error. Some interesting stats on that front. Early on in this game, um, the tackle count was uh, definitely in Sydney's favour. But by the end of the game, despite the fact they won and had more of the footy, the tackle count was 64 to 36, almost double. So they really hammered Fremantle whenever the Dockers got the ball. And uh, even more glaring a a difference, the tackles inside 50, of which Fremantle landed just two, and Sydney applied 28. That is fantastic pressure. I want to ask you quickly your view on the Buddy Franklin incident, because I thought uh, it was a bit of a cheap shot. Um, Someone argued to me that uh, he was off balance and in danger of smashing his head on the ground. Well, he wasn't, because by the time he swung the elbow back, He'd regained his balance. And you can't be throwing your elbows around wildly like that. Pretty fortunate that Luke Ryan wasn't more seriously hurt. So I think he might cop a one-waker myself. What do you reckon? Correct. And 
I, I get a sense that he probably could do with a week off. He's been going hammer and tong all season and maybe just has come off the boil a little bit this week when Alex Pierce really got under his skin. So before that incident, if you take the whole game and his demeanour, you'd, you'd suspend him. Do you know what I mean? It, it's not as though that was an isolated moment in the game. I think that sort of happened as Alex Pierce was successful in undermining his concentration. I'll say this, <clears throat> pardon me, that they are not overly buddy conscious. I think it's a fantastic Sydney forward line. We saw Heaney kick five this week that doesn't rely over obsessively on buddy. So, yeah, he might miss a week, but I don't think they'll miss a beat. Well, still very much in contention for a top four berth for Swans. They are a game outside the top four along with Brisbane. So going to be a really interesting race home, that one. Frio, well, they're still only two points out of the top eight. Uh, gee, no one seems to really want to lay their hands permanently on that last spot in the final eight. And it is pretty much a last spot now because West Coast, six points clear of the others in the race for that last spot in the final. So at the moment, the Giants have possession. The Dockers still, well, still uh, numerically, a uh, pretty decent chance, but tough run home and they'd want to be playing a lot better. Plus, most importantly, looks like they're probably going to be without Fife and Walters quite possibly for the remainder of the season. A bad hamstring for Walters and Fife with his shoulder dislocated. So... Pretty bad day all round for the Dockers. What's on the agenda for these two next week? Well, the Swans drawn to play Essendon. That game's scheduled for Marvel Stadium. You think that's where it'll stay. Saturday night seems to be the popular pick for the scheduling of that game, although it was originally scheduled for a Friday evening. As for the Dockers, well, they are drawn to play Richmond at home. And that game, of course, will go on because Perth, uh, not a concern in terms of COVID-friendly scheduling. So the Dockers up against Richmond, uh, two sides disappointing this week. Can one of them seize an opportunity and stay in that hunt for a top eight spot? All right, that was the first game on the Sunday schedule. The next one was at the MCG. Mid-Sunday afternoon was the time slot. The MCG was the venue. Zero, unfortunately, was the attendance for another rematch of last year's grand final. Of course, these two sides, Geelong and Richmond, had already clashed once this year. That resulted in a comprehensive win to the Cats, as did the second meeting. A very comfortable win indeed for Geelong. The final scores, 15-5, 95 38-point winners over the Tigers. Eight goals, 9-57. And uh, even that scoreline may have been a bit flattering. The Tigers kicking five goals in the last quarter. Just 3-7 their scoreline at three-quarter time, whilst the Cats at the same time had 10 on the board. Well, this was a real slog of a game, Finey. Um, the goal kickers, there still were multiple goal kickers. Four to Hawkins, terrific again. Four to Radagalia, significant performance. Uh, May have just put himself in contention for a permanent spot. 
Singles to Myers, Stanley, Dangerfield, Rowan, Narkle and Close and Parfit. And for the Tigers, two to Arts, two to Rewalt. Singles to Castagna, Lynch, Cochin, Lambert. Were really uh, turgid sort of contest for at least a quarter finally, wasn't it? Very uh, oh, tight, tough, not much scoring going on. The Cats had a couple of goals advantage at the first break. And uh, didn't take long into the second quarter for the damn Walder burst as far as the scoreboard went. A uh, terrific burst of five goals in nine minutes by the Cats in the second term. Five unanswered goals. Those two, Radigalia, two to Hawkins, one to Dangerfield and one to Rowan. All of a sudden, they were out to a 40-point lead. And given that the Tigers went to halftime with just one goal to their names, never looked likely that they were over, going to overhaul the deficit from there. Thus approved. And, uh, well, <laughs> remarkably, they are still in finals contention. But, boy, I wonder if a few Richmond people would almost be hoping they don't make it because right now they are a shadow of the side that they were. That was really... Not only did they cough up five goals in that nine-minute burst... But how un-Richmond-like were some of those surrendered goals? A couple of them just bouncing through the goal square, no defenders dropping deep. It really was un-Richmond-like in the territory that they allowed Geelong to have and a couple of those snapshots just bouncing through. And I sort of thought, this is Richmond not of the... Not any... Not a shadow, really of what we had come to love if you barrack for them or respect if you don't of the Tigers for the last four seasons. These things happen. Of course, they've lost their, their guiding light in Dustin Martin. And that must've been a morale blow for the side. Look, they showed character. They kicked four of the last five goals when they were headed for another abysmal scoreline, not dissimilar to the one they racked up against St Kilda. Why is this happening? The forward line, to be honest, has not responded to the demands because that's really where at least they've kept most of their players. Tom Link's disappointing. Big Nanny tries in the ruck. Unfortunately, that midfield now has been split asunder, hasn't it? I thought Cochin was not terrible today, by the way. What, what was your opinion on Cochin? I know there's a bit of a spotlight on him, but there didn't seem to be a heck of a lot of support for him, to be honest. Uh, <clears throat> maybe uh, fractionally better than he has been, but still, he's to me, seems to be symptomatic of their malaise. He's a bit of a, a shadow of what he has been. Yeah, I think a yeah. um, couple of encouraging things for him. I think Rioli's been good value off halfback since he's been moved there. And um, I think Matthew Parker has showed a bit too in the last couple of weeks. So... Uh, a slight upside for uh, Richmond in that department. We need to talk about uh, Radigalia because it's a really interesting dilemma. In fact, finally, just as an aside, I made the mistake of tweeting, um, Radigalia is an interesting poser, um, presuming that uh, most people would understand that I meant question for the Geelong coaching panel. Instead, Twitter being what it is, a whole lot of people thought I was saying he was a poser as he yeah. an actor. Uh, isn't social media great? Anyway, it was a good performance by him, but you cannot see them possibly 
playing him, Hawkins, Cameron and Rowan in the one forward setup. So what is going to happen when Cameron returns? Well, what did you make of Stanley's game? Uh, not a lot. Correct. That's why I think Radagalia has to play. Because he, to me, he provides almost as much in the ruck as Stanley. And there's no way Reece Stanley's going to kick four goals. He'll have to work further up the field. You're right. They don't want to have a top heavy forward line. But they also don't want to carry a, a player or have a player in Stanley whose output can't match that of somebody simply because that player is more forward ruck than ruck forward, knowing that Blitzarves can also fill the role. I think Stanley's the one that misses out, Rowan. Mm. I'll tell you one thing about the Cats, and, and you did say they, they are looking a serious flag chance. We did speak this time last year or heading into the grand final about this being their best chance. Well, no, it wasn't because this is clearly their best chance of winning that first flag for 10 years. Uh, it's the experience, it's the poise, it's a way that they can control the tempo of a game and the likelihood that whether it's Melbourne, the Bulldogs, Brisbane or Port or Sydney, uh, the only exception to this rule would be West Coast and I can't see them getting there. They are going to be up against an opponent of considerably less experience than they are. So it is all set up for Geelong. I, that's not saying I think they're now going to win it, but they have certainly got one foot just about, I reckon, in the grand final. So uh, it's been a very, very steady season for them. Look, they can be pretty ordinary to watch on occasions, can't they? But, you know, your objective is to win a premiership and I think they look every chance of doing it. Do you agree? Well, as I said in the preview to the program, Rowan, first time in 10 years, I actually cast my mind forward now and, and see them as the most ominous team in the finals because of experience, because their nemesis isn't there and because I just have not totally been um, taken with their fellow finalists. The Bulldogs today, tonight, look the best matchup. Sydney, a wild card. But I just don't think that they've got the firepower or the the real finals depth of experience that is required. And for all that's made of their midfield and forward line, I think it's the back line that has impressed me most with Geelong. It is working so well, isn't it? Yeah, no, very, very resolute indeed. In fact, all parts of the ground ticking over beautifully. Actually, having said that, I think a quad injury to Joel Selwood, but uh, could end up being to their advantage, giving another bit of a breather before tuning up for yet another finals campaign. As for his teammates, uh, the Cats next week scheduled to play North Melbourne at Blundstone Arena in Hobart. Will that happen? Uh, well, the, uh, the state government working very hard with the AFL to establish a sterile corridor to allow that game to be played in Hobart. So uh, keep your eyes and ears peeled for developments on that one. And the Tigers, they will be, in, in fact, if they haven't already, started heading to Perth to quarantine for a week before they played the Dockers that game scheduled for next Sunday. One game left on the Round 19 menu. That was the second week of a Sunday doubleheader at Metricon Stadium. <laughs>
Last game of round 19 was at Metricon Stadium between Essendon and GWS. This game originally scheduled for Marvel Stadium. Uh, not played there and uh, probably Essendon regretting it wasn't played there because they lowered their colours to the Giants and went out of the top eight with it. The Giants taking their place with a pretty gritty 13-point win. The final scores, nine goals, 12-66. GWS to Essendon, 7-11-53. Well, talking about dramatic turnarounds, there were a few of them this weekend, and this was another one, not on the same scale, but given it was a low-scoring encounter, Essendon's 16-point half-time lead did look pretty commanding, uh, especially given that the Giants had kicked just three goals to that stage, 6-4 to 3-6 at half-time. Well, the Giants then basically took over, certainly in terms of uh, field position, didn't necessarily get the scoreboard return, but they did kick 4-4, in that third term to just four behinds, uh, a goal and a half their lead at the last change. Essendon really couldn't make major inroads on that. Just the one goal in the last quarter, that to Nick Cox. And it was the Giants through goals to Sam Reid and the clincher, a dribbler from Brent Daniels, which restored that two and a half goal lead and victory to GWS. The final scores, the Giants 9-12-66, Essendon 7-11-53. Goal kickers for GWS, two to Hogan, singles to Himmelberg, Ash, Lloyd, Ward, Mumford, uh, at uh, rare agility from Mummy, Reed and Daniels, all single goal kickers to the Dons who really struggled up forward. Hooker, Parrish, Perkins, Smith, Stringer, Zaharakis and Cox. Got to say, Finey, really disappointed with the Bombers' performance in this one because it was their game to lose. Uh, they looked the superior side coming off the ground at halftime and then they just disappeared without a trace, an absolute tide of possession out of that centre in the third quarter. Some really good defensive jobs done by the Giants. Uh, Lockie Ash, terrific tagging role on Darcy Parrish, who was held to a very uncharacteristic low of just 15 possessions. In fact, I'd be staggered if that wasn't a season low for him. Zach Merritt also held in relative check, just 20 disposals for him. Much quieter day for Jake Stringer. Uh, Alternately, the Giants had some really strong performers in the midfield and running off halfback. Lockie Whitfield, great game from him. 35 disposals. Tom Green, strong game, 29 disposals. Josh Kelly added a bit of class, 23 touches. And a really mature performance, finally, from the Giants, given their inconsistent form in recent weeks. You know, they've beaten Melbourne, but they lost to Hawthorne, only drew with North Melbourne. You didn't really know what to expect. And half-time, the best part of three goals down, I don't think too many people would have given a lot for their prospects. But... Credit where it's due. This was a really good win to them and they were suitably rewarded with a spot in the top eight. What do you think of this game? Around by the end of the game, I was scratching my head as to how Essendon only lost by a couple of goals. And in fact, until until Daniels uh, well-roved from a draper hit out, I should say, snap along the ground, the game was still really alive. Why do I say that? Parrish 
held like none other has held him this season. You pointed that out. Merritt really a, a below average performance in terms of possessions from him. Nothing much from Stringer. No run from Nick Hind. Uh, some good performances again. Nick Cox and Durham. Wow. He's a beauty, Durham. You'd, you'd absolutely be wrapped with him if you're an Essendon supporter. Getting the player like that out of a mid-season draft is a, a huge boon. And Draper was good. But beyond that, the GWS midfield just powered past Essendon with great performances. I thought, I thought um, Hopper was uh, Hooper was pardon me Hopper <laughs> was great all night. I love the game of um, Brent Daniels. Not only late in the game did he come to the fore with some great possessions, but he also had the speed to keep Hind in check for most of the evening. They were really well served by a midfield that was on top. You mentioned Kelly, Taranto played his part. And, of course, Lockie Whitfield off the halfback flank with all those possessions is so damaging. You'd think, gee, they'd win the game easily. They were a bit profligate in front of goal. Himmelberg and Hogan were decent targets. And they just probably didn't quite capitalise on their opportunities in that third quarter. You pointed out 4-4 could have been a lot more. Of all of the midfielders, you know who I reckon was best in that third quarter? Um, in a way, Tom Green. Because he also rucked. And he was so powerful with his kicking. I was really impressed by him. Well done to GWS. They are in the eight. It's the spot that nobody wants to be in. I wonder how they'll handle it next week. Well, it's fascinating uh, setup at the moment. Just two points separating five teams. The Giants in eighth spot on 34. Essendon, Richmond, Fremantle and St Kilda all on 32 points outside the eight. Uh, do you... I, I'm thinking right at the moment, I seem to change my answer every week with this, but... Who, whose upside is the most of all those contenders? I actually think it might be GWS. Their potential is greater than the others. Yeah, GWS or St Kilda. It's, uh, it, St, yeah, go on. St Kilda, St Kilda, you know, with, I'm not quite sure when Marshall can come <laughs> back, but um, but look, it's in St Kilda's hands now. They've got four games and I guess say like Carlton and Frio games they should win and Sydney and Geelong are very tough games but GWS really with Toby Green to welcome back has yeah, at their best probably, you're right probably most to offer I'll say this, I'll say this much Rowan, that Essendon with two narrow losses, they should have won both games against GWS They'd be they'd be pointing the finger at GWS and saying, "Really, they're a young team as well. We still have a ways to go." Because, in a way, GWS outspirited them tonight. Yeah, they did. I thought the effort was was really lacking after quarter time. Uh, just on those runs home, so GWS have got Port Adelaide next week, followed by Geelong, that at GMHBA Stadium at this stage, Richmond at home, and then Carlton, Essendon at the same time. The Bombers have Sydney next week. That's scheduled for Marvel Stadium. Then the Bulldogs at Marvel Stadium, Gold Coast and Collingwood. So I reckon the next two weeks, definitely going to sort out whether Essendon 
gets there or not. So now it's the Giants in pole position, their spot in the final eight to lose. All right, that is round 19 wrapped up, leaving us with one regular department in this podcast. And you know which one it is, the one where we get all fired up. On Footyology, the rant off. Righto, Finey. Well, yeah, I had a weird day watching the footy yesterday. Five games on, a uh, fair bit to take in. But strange things were happening in my universe. And uh, I decided to have a bit of a rant about it. Uh, would you please count me in? I certainly will. One, two, three. And I'm curious as to what your world provides in rant form. I'm pissed off with COVID, Finey. Yeah, I hear you say, aren't we all? Well, yes, but now I think this dreaded virus is starting to seep into our collective consciousness so badly it's frying our brains. And as you'd appreciate, in the football world particularly, there often isn't necessarily that many brain cells to go around. It was a very strange day watching five games of footy yesterday. Some of the things coming out of people's mouths were the sort of stuff you'd only hear in a world going slowly mad. For example, I was watching Saturday Stretch on Fox Footy for the post-game wrap-ups of everything that happened when they crossed to Dwayne Russell and Dermot Burton at Marvel Stadium for a summary of the Adelaide Hawthorne game. They talk about the game for about 10 seconds before suddenly we see a video clip of Hawthorne's Chad Wingard having an animated argument with his teammate Jacob Kaczynski. All of a sudden, Dermy has flown into a comedy routine about Kaczynski ordering a capriccioso pizza and Wingard instead wanting a Hawaiian. This routine wasn't just a fleeting quip. It went on for about two minutes before they crossed back to the studio, leaving no one, particularly the host, any the wiser about what had actually happened in the game. It was bizarre. That wasn't a lot weirder, mind you, than what went on during the Carlton North Melbourne game earlier in the day. That was where Eddie Maguire had a little trouble getting his head around the two Mackay brothers, Harry and Ben one of whom wasn't even playing. First Ed calls Ben Sam without flinching, gets corrected, then apologises for getting the wrong brother. Well, no, Ed, you didn't get either of the brothers. Who's Sam Mackay? Who in hell knows? Maybe he's their cousin. Then when the ruse finally kicked clear of the Blues and Ed was presumably finally done with just randomly screaming in the middle of a passage of play, he says... This is a big moment for the boys on some Docklands building site owned by some random property property developer mate of his. Of course it was, Ed. It wasn't a big moment for the North Melbourne fans or the players or the coach, but some guys on a building site owned by some mate of yours. Now, that was just doubly weird. I guess you could argue he was only taking his example from the top. I mean, didn't the PM, Scott Morrison, do a press conference the other day about the just-concluded meeting of the National Cabinet on COVID, only to, when asked what had happened, announce that he didn't talk about what was discussed at the National Cabinet? That, of course, was before he decided to name-drop Kyle Bloody Sandlins, like one of the most obnoxious people in the country, had suddenly become the sage source of advice on how Australia deals with the pandemic. Okay, I bow down to you, Kyle Sandlins. Of course, none of this tops what was going on in the streets of various capital cities yesterday as a score of morons, oh, sorry, I meant freedom fighters, decided to go all bolshy about us being in lockdown. Did you see the footage, Finey? 
Wow, there's some of the world's greatest minds gathered in one spot. Certainly good timing on their part too. I mean, if you're sick and tired of being locked down, you could just, having already waited a couple of weeks, wait a couple more days and probably have the whole thing over and done with. Or you could travel across town to meet in the CBD, not wearing a mask, yelling your COVID conspiracy and anti-vax bullshit and risk causing a super spreader event, which probably means we end up having that same lockdown you're pissed off about extended by another week or so. Genius. Great way of getting what you want. We're cooked, guys. This pandemic might not have destroyed all our bodies, but it's chipping away at our minds. We marginalise the value of knowledge, education, experience in science so we could politicise the issue of climate change. Now we're demanding that the mad rantings of some conspiracy nutters be lent equal weight on how we handle epidemiology. And if you want any light relief from this shit show of the absurd, don't expect to be able to make any sense of the footy. You'll just be tuning in for an analysis of a game and instead get some commentator's stand-up routine about a bloody pizza. Oh, a ripper. And you know why? First of all, it's a ripper. And you know why it's a ripper? Why? It's the perfect entree to mine. Oh, entree, pizza. Okay. Uh, well, let's not muck around. Three, two, one, rant. We, and by we, I mean the Australian public, or more specifically football fan, are idiots on the highway in the fast lane to being certified morons. How do I know that? Well, I'm not privy to any government IQ test, nor do I know the results of the upcoming census. No, I get my cues from TV. By what we're shown on TV, not by what we're watching by choice, but what we're shown by advertisers. We're treated like infants. Meerkats are selling insurance. Dogs are telling us about our credit rating. You know the one, I love you, I love you. And a cockatoo who has some great affection for Jack Rewalt sells us Foxtel. What next? A hippopotamus flogging hemorrhoid cream? Why are adults being sold to by talking animals? We're not four years old. But of all the things that are treating us like children or worse, surely the winner of the our target market are a pack of morons. The prize goes to Toyota and their latest campaign. Not content with being good for footy, they've come up with this beauty. They're making footy gooder. Gooder? And the AFL is party to this. In fact, they're happy to have it emblazoned on all their grounds. Toyota is making footy gooder. Now, I researched this, and this goes to a Japanese philosophy called Genshi Genbatsu. What is it? It is going to the source to improve something, going to the community. Now, that's a noble idea. But the community in this country speaks English, and Gouda is fingernails down a blackboard to anybody who has any respect for the English language. I mean, how on earth? earth did they come up with this one what marketing nabob thought gooder was a term that was acceptable i know what you're saying the fact that i'm talking about it on a podcast means it works i'm spreading the word i'm talking about gooder no well that's not how it should work 
negative advertising, getting under people's skin is hardly the way to go about promoting a product. Certainly not a luxury item like a car. I mean, if they want to annoy people, why don't they just go with a big swastika on the wings? People will talk about that, but believe me, it won't be positive. No, gooder is absolutely unacceptable in any form of marketing. Look, I know we're stupid. I know we're idiots. Just have a look at all those morons marching yesterday. We still put instructions on toothpaste and shampoo bottles. And I heard that they've just greenlit another season of holy moly. But we're not that bloody stupid Toyota. Get your grammar correct. <laughs> Very good. You know what annoys me most about that ad, to be honest? I mean, in fairness, the woman in the ad does look at her husband like he's a bit of an idiot when he says gooder. But what about the way she wets herself when she gets a kiss from Marcus Bontempelli? Yeah. Speaking about yeah. grown adults, my other pet hate at, on advertising at the moment is the daggy dad. Do you want to, uh, is anyone else out there like me? I want to absolutely kill that guy, Keith, from the Amy insurance ads. You know, the guy with the beard? Yeah, and yeah. Who yeah, yeah. talks to him and now the latest one he the hose goes bolshy on him and uh, and the other one, the kid's birthday party where he tries to get the burnt sausage. In the, I mean, just do something right, you idiot, and get out of that ridiculous red tracksuit. I can't stand him. The Amy yeah. ads. Amy ads are like fingers down a blackboard for me. Every I, one of them. Yeah, I don't know, look, I agree. I don't know what's their ads, but... And what's with all these animals trying to sell products to adults? I don't know. I don't know. Well, I'll take that over uh, an analysis of a football match described as a pizza ordering uh, routine. That was just weird. All right. That's where we wrap it up. That is the review of Round 19. Of course, this podcast always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Play the punning advantage this footy season. Always remember to gamble responsibly. What about our other wonderful sponsors, Finey? And I'll promise you this, even in an ironic situation or trying to be a little bit sarcastic, I'm never, ever going to use that word that Toyota are promoting at the moment. It sickens me. But I will say this, that the Andrews Hamburger at 144 Bridport Street is a better product that you can get in any other burger joint. It uses better produce and ends up with a better bite because they're better than good. They're great. That's English, and that's a great burger. And the same goes for our wonderful friends at West Point Properties, Nick Spartels. For a better build, contact West Point. And for better stats, head to Stats Insider, the best sports data analysts in the business. You can check them out at statsinsider.com.au. All wonderful supporters of this podcast, as are you. If you want to support us financially, you can do so at the supporter page on ACAST, wherever you are listening to this podcast, or head to Patreon. And we have links all over the website at footyology.com.au and become an official Footyology patron for just $7 Australian per month. And what do you get for that? Well, you get our undying gratitude and you enable us to keep this little operation going thanks for listening once again we'll be back 
uh, next Wednesday with a preview of round 20 and more of that mystery fixture, which hopefully will be finalised by then. Hope your team had a good win. Commiserations and better luck next week. If they didn't, we'll catch you later.